Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of Biomass. We're in episode 187. Uh, we're going to deem this the Pokey and Zell Christmas special because we're the only ones here and it's going to be real interesting. So let's get nice. started with a very, very short introduction uh, starting at the top half of the list with Soraya Zell. Well, um, I'm actually on the bottom of the list today, actually, Ooh, as the true. case is. You, you just, you, you've got that like so automated top oh, of the yeah. list oh, yeah. um, that I, I've thrown you. Uh, so, uh, I am Soraya Zell, uh, also known as, uh, it, as I show up on the list as Zell Without Internet, because I am coming to you, uh, live, but not, from, uh, my, uh, my dad's office, where I have installed Mumble for the purposes of recording this show. As the case is, the, uh, internet wiring outside my building looks like a tornado went through it, and it does not work. So here I am. Were you at least able to watch the best Christmas movie ever, which is, of course, Die Hard? Have you done that yet? Or is that um, uh, tomorrow? I haven't done it yet, but um, especially now that I don't have internet, I probably will uh, get that in because uh, I have Die Hard on Blu-ray, as you all should. You well, all should. Blu-ray is important because, um, see, with the new net neutrality uh, laws changing... Um, Companies have been very kind to download all of the streaming uh, movies and then put them on a hard disk for you that you can now purchase, um, so you don't have to stream it anymore. It's it's actually a really great revolutionary thing. I hear that um, Amazon's doing the same thing with um, with like reading stuff online. They're downloading it and printing it on paper and bundling it together, and you can also buy that. So what? you should be good to go. Really? Yeah, Wait, it's a new can, thing they came out with. You can, it's, you can it's get ebooks that you can you can read on paper, like without power. Yeah, in case you want. Yeah, like in case your power goes out or your internet gets throttled down, you can now get ebooks on um, the stuff called paper. It's it's. Fantastic. You shouldn't get me started I'm, on I'm net neutrality. I think the whole thing's a sham. <laughs> the whole internet has gone crazy about a sham, but that's okay. I, I, I had to make a make a dab here because we're, we're of course filling time with only two people on the show. Um, but of course, I'm Pokey Draven. I'm actually recording from a different computer today, but uh, I obviously help host the show here, um, even when there's only two of us. And uh, I do the Dungeon Crawl series with uh, Livy over on YouTube. So uh, we're finishing up our our prey. I'm I'm doing the final edits on our kind of recap video, so that will be kind of our final review of the game um, coming out in the next week here or so. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's what I do. So getting started here, we have a couple <laughs> interesting trailers that came out of nowhere. This Mortal Engines teaser trailer. Do you is this like an original thing, Zal? Do you know, or is it? It like says based it's from a book. Really? It looks really strange. I, I mean, you know, we'll put it in the show notes, but um, the the core of this is you're you've got this weird like giant vehicle thing that people are on, and it's moving along. And then there's this one that shows up that's like a hundred times bigger, speeding across this landscape. And they're like, that's London. And this just, they don't explain this. But you have to, you have to assume that there's this, that cities are mobile now. It's like, honest to God, like Zal says, imagine like a tank, except it's the size of a city. And then you put a city on top of the tank and it's going like you know, 80 miles an hour across like a desert wasteland. It's very, very bizarre. It's kind of got this almost like not quite as like red filter Mad Max look. Um, it's like they're a little more like bathed in, in the trailer, but it's kind of got this like they're just traveling around, um, you know, and then this London, which is this massive city, eats a smaller city. Um, it, it looks bizarre. It actually reminds me a lot of... Um, Final Fantasy VIII, and this is kind of spoilers for the game, but the game's like 10 years old, so I don't care. Um, these things called gardens, which are 
effectively where you know you send teenager anime teenagers to go and learn how to fight you know other people um but they're basically cities but you in later in the game you find out that they can actually like fly so they travel around you know fighting each other like this um and it kind of reminded me of that because they've got like the, the grass and you know like a park on top of this thing and it's just cruising along really really bizarre but it's peter jackson so it's like ah, it's gotta have something worthwhile i mean it, it's at least worth looking at right yeah it's got um uh, everything that uh you just it doesn't explain what it is it's a teaser so you're just kind of like you watch it and then you're like what yeah it's it's almost like one of those teasers for teasers you know how they like to do that now where it's hey trailer's coming tomorrow um but no i think this is this is um worth keeping an eye on it's kind of the weird eccentric sort of deal that you know you don't normally see but i think it could provide for kind of an interesting narrative just by how weird it looks so um the the name of the the movie is mortal engines and it's worth taking a look at yeah, so that one that one will be interesting just to see what it is. Yeah, worth taking a look at. So, moving along here, and I know you and I can go on about this one for a bit. Uh, Stargate Origins. This is a uh, a new series that we talked about. God, it was like six months ago, and I was all hyped for it, and then I realized it was a web series that was like ten minutes long, and it, I got much less excited about it. So, what did you think of of this one, Zell? I know you're a big fan of the Stargate series. You know, I'm a big fan of the Stargate series, but how much Stargate are they going to put in this? Because it's that's what I was thinking. The Stargate series. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Um, we'll see. I I've had such bad experiences on web series. Like this is a little bit longer, like ten minutes an episode. But like I've seen so many web series in that like three minute an episode format that just it just doesn't feel right. So. You know, we'll see. My hope is, you know, continues to be that the excitement or interest for this will lead them to renew an actual series at some point. Um, I did pay for this. Um, the So the whole thing they had is they had this Stargate Command thing. You pay 20 bucks. They started it back in, like, October or September. And what you get is you get access to all of the Stargate shows uh, streaming uh, for, like, eight months, like, until May. Of, of 2018 it's like a one-time $20 fee and I paid it even though I've never used it so this thing will be available for uh, in February they said uh, and uh, it will be available on this thing that you pay 20 bucks one time for so I did it yeah I mean so for those of you who aren't familiar with the Stargate series the basic premise is is that uh, they discover this giant ring in ancient Egypt back in the day. Um, and the start of the original movie was they find this ring, an amount of time passes, and they get this, they've eventually got this thing set up in, uh, was it Cheyenne Mountain? Was that the was that the name of the place, though? Where SG was? Yeah, it's under NORAD. Okay, so it's under NORAD, under Cheyenne Mountain. Um, and then the movie kind of takes, the, it's there's this time skip between when they find it and, you know, the, the beginning of the movie where they eventually figure out how to dial the Stargate. Um, and effectively what it does, it creates a portal which allows them to travel to other Stargates which have been scattered across, you know, various planets um, in the galaxy. And uh, it was a, a favorite movie of mine when I was younger. Um, it, was, it was very well done. And it eventually spawned um, three different uh, series and a couple of movies, which were, some were fantastic, some not I hated so much. The movie. But, you know. <laughs> I hated the movie and liked what the series. But... The, 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 the series were, were a different take on the, the story. I think it was much improved, probably. Um, but uh, it was a long, long run. I think SG-1 ran for 
10 plus seasons and then they had the atlanta series which ran for like three or four i think and then... uh, 10 for sg1 five for atlantis and then two for the atrocious attempt to be Battlestar galactica known as stargate uh, universe yeah. stargate universe was I, I could see what they were trying to do but it was it was not good um but good stuff for the most part um it was really enjoyable so what this web series stargate origins is it it kind of spans the gap between when they initially found the Stargate in Egypt and the beginning of the movie when they actually figure out how to dial it. And I was like, yay, origin story, this is going to be great. Except that I'm thinking they never actually dialed the thing until the movie, which means that the Stargate Origins series won't actually have anyone actually, going through the Stargate. Actually, that's not true. What? So if you remember, there was a season one episode where they went to this one planet that was, like, nearly abandoned and had, like, some ancient equipment, and then it had, like, an 80-year-old dude, and that mm -hmm. was, like, Catherine Langford's uh, husband. Oh. And, and when they found so they it, they're like, holy crud, they did dial the gate back back in the 40s or whatever it was. Okay, I stand corrected. So they I'm, did I'm... They did dial the gate, like, once. Well, that could, that could be a plot point, then, for for what they're going for. Is, I would think it has you know, to be like, they, they, that, they can't go through, they can't do a whole season, uh, a whole, like it's not a season, but a whole little web series about the Stargate without actually including at least the one event in that time frame that they would have dialed the gate. That's gotta be in there. Fair enough. Fair enough. That makes sense, but still definitely not going to be anything like, you know, what we're used to um, where they're going through every single episode, you know, to go do something different. Um, so, you know, uh, you'll have to tell me how it is, Dom. I'm, I'm probably not going to pay the 20 bucks for it unless you tell me that it's fantastic and I must see it. Uh, but I'm, I'm kind of skeptical on this one. I wouldn't tell anyone sane to pay 20 bucks to watch a total of 100 minutes of video. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> you're starting to get there with, with actual theaters now, but uh, yeah. Well, that's if you're getting your IMAX 3D on. And even then, that's right. like 15 bucks. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it looks like this is broken up into 10 minutes episode so it's it's basically shorts um for like like Zell said it's 100 minutes of 10 10 minute episodes uh and that's coming out in february next year so you know we'll, we'll get a review on that one because and i are big stargate fans and he obviously has, has decided to, to kind of buy into this and give it a shot so we'll we'll hear how it is and you know if it's really good then i'll probably hop in and we'll we'll have a nerd out about it but uh we'll let you know when that time comes around so moving on to gaming news, uh, this is a game that actually we had talked about a while ago, but it kind of popped up again uh, a little more prevalent because um, it's coming out soon, uh, is a game called A Way Out. And A Way Out is interesting in that it is uh, a game that you have to play co-op. The, the concept of the game is that you are two guys that are in prison and you have to work together to escape the prison. And there is no option for an NPC partner you must play with another person in order to make it happen. So kind of unique. It's an interesting limitation, but uh, I think also kind of brings a, a unique way of kind of doing co-op where it's like, no, we're going to make you work with somebody on this one. Um, it looks interesting. Uh, and it, it does have an online component. It will play online, but they kind of make it, they, he kind of makes it clear that this is kind of intended to be two, two people play on a couch. And I think that's, that's good. Um, I think when we originally covered it, they hadn't confirmed the online play, and it was just confirmed for for couch co-op, which is a lot of fun and probably one of the better ways to do co-op. But uh, at least having the option for online play is is probably a very good thing to have. But the really exciting part is is what they said about if you are going to play it online, um, and this is something that really I've never heard from a a company that's doing multiplayer online is uh, 
it's it's hilarious the way the guy says it but uh you don't have to buy two copies uh for two people to play the game even if it's online yeah that's actually very unusual i mean i know we've had um like with with PlayStation, I'm not sure how it is for Xbox, where you could share play, where you could kind of have the game running on your system and you could hand off control of the game to a friend of yours so they could try it for like an hour. Um, but never have I seen where you could only do one copy to play online with, with multiple people um, where you can share. I think um, Nintendo DS did this a little bit for like... Yeah, Nintendo's done it a couple times. Which is which is cool, but I think this is definitely a first for um, for uh, for PSN um, is having the the online single copy, which is pretty cool. And it's like the whole game, mind you. It's not just like a little part of it. It's like that one copy because they're like we're forcing you to play co-op. So if you're playing it on the couch, you only need one copy. We're not going to make you have two copies to have the exact same experience online. Um, and like Zell said, the way he he kind of presented it was pretty funny, where he's. Like, hold up two copies. He's like, yeah, you only need one of these. Fuck this one. He throws the one behind him. Like, I don't even care about it. Like, you don't need that one. Don't worry about it. Um, which is which is really cool. I, I always, it warms my heart when I see developers that are like. It makes really... me want to buy two copies. That's the thing. <laughs> like, when, when someone's like, you don't need to buy two copies of our game. I'm like, but now I want to. Because <laughs> you're, you're being, you're being really, I. It's unfortunate because we've, and this has been really relevant lately, we've entered kind of the, the gaming industry has unfortunately kind of gotten some anti-consumer tendencies. And when you see a game company really go back to like, hey, we just want you to have a really awesome experience and then we can make some money uh, as kind of a secondary thing. This is the kind of stuff that I love seeing because it really gets back to kind of the roots of what I, I wish the gaming industry was more like on a broad sense where it's like, yeah. Although I'll tell you, you know who's publishing this, right? No. This is an EA title. Really? <laughs> I figured I'd let you really? know that before you get too on to oh. all the wonders about how great a game company can be. This is well. an EA title. <laughs> <laughs> That's Sorry. Okay. Curveball. Okay, well. Okay, curveball. That's surprising, though, because they'd be like, so here's how it works. Um, you buy one copy, but there's loot boxes you can buy, and you can get additional free copies out of the loot boxes, but you gotta, you know, yeah, you gotta buy into our microtransaction system to make it happen. Um... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, that's, you know, I'll, I'll give them credit where it's due. You know, it's, it's unusual for EA to do something like this, but, uh, you know, it's, it seems like a, a pretty small game. It's not necessarily, it's not quite your, your battlefront too, but you know, I, I'll give them credit where it's due for, for doing something like this. Cause I think that's, that's really cool. And, um, almost necessary, I think for a game that requires co-op, I mean, you, you have to work like with someone. It's not just like a, you can pick up a random person. You've got to actually like, be talking to him to make it happen so uh i think it's probably necessary for this kind of game but i could totally see another game company being like hey you've got to buy two copies to do this but uh i think it's just pretty cool so props to them for making that happen now this is i guess this is from ea originals which i guess is like their i think is their like their indie publishing arm oh it's their indie division oh so they haven't been corrupted quite yet got it okay. yeah so so they're well it's like it's a rather than being an ea studio it's EA doing the publishing side of an independent release, you know, s since obviously every company under the sun can't get their game out in into every store and studio. Yeah. So that makes yeah, a I little know. bit more sense. It, it does. <laughs> uh, Square Enix does a similar thing where they'll, um, you can basically submit your indie game to Square Enix and then every 
couple weeks or so, they send out a newsletter where they kind of, they look through like all their submissions and they pick like eight and then they, they kind of push it out to the people that subscribe to their newsletter and being like, Hey, check these out. Um, and then the ones that get a like the most, most attention, then square will kind of not necessarily like back them financially, but they'll kind of use the marketing push to get them out there. So the companies can, can produce the game. And then, um, once the, the top the top interest ones are, are made and published, uh, Square will push them and kind of do the advertising for them as sort of their indie uh, division, which is which is really cool. Um, I really like that, and I think, like you said, most people in today's market, there's so many large publishers out there collecting a lot of the market share, um, and so many indie publishers out there that it can be difficult to get your name out there if you're a nobody. So you know, this these sort of programs, I think. Uh, you know, certainly help the, the, the little guys get out there and, you know, the big publishers can probably skim a little bit off the top and, and make a couple bucks for the amount of effort they put in. So it kind of, it's kind of win-win for everyone. Um, I like seeing that sort of thing. So that's, that's pretty cool. So Zell, I know we talked about uh, Squadron 42 last, uh, last week in, in a kind of a negative light with their issue with the Crytek uh, engine, but it looks like there's a new trailer with uh, our favorite uh, Jedi voice actor. So you want to tell us a bit about uh, that new trailer that came out? Uh, for yeah, so this, Star- is just, uh, uh, this is just a set of, kind of a set of little clips from um, what seems to be like an early intro scene uh, to Squadron 42. Um, Mark Hamill is playing kind of the, uh, you know, senior, you know, I, I guess like squad leader type person that you're you're going to start, you know, training under or working for. Um, and so this is just a couple clips of, of his character and his, his voice acting. Um, not much, but it's the most we've seen about Squadron 42 in a long time um, in terms of actual, you know, progress and development. They still haven't really said a lot about Squadron 42. It's not so, It's the part of the game that they haven't shown off what they're working on very often. They are actually just launching a website for it, uh, I think, this past week and a separate newsletter apart from Star Citizens. And the fact that they're kind of making progress on that may be part of why uh, Crytek decided to finally launch that lawsuit, because obviously I'm sure they've been arguing about it internally for quite a while. Yeah, I, I can imagine that's kind of the triggering factor, because it's you, it's hard to file a lawsuit until they actually really make the push to release it as a, its own game, even if there was kind of bickering about it ahead of time. So. Uh, there were a lot of terms, but, I, you know, as we discussed, I think that it really comes down to, though, that it, it hit the, it was the straw that broke the camel's back on, there's no way we're going to we're going to get, you know, it's, it's very clear that any private negotiation has failed at that point, you know. Um, what did you think of the, of the, the video clip? Did you watch it? Uh, yeah, I did. I liked it. I think I've always been a big fan of Mark Hamill as a voice actor. I think he, he does a much better job than he does on screen, <laughs> but I think he's got a great voice. Um, and he plays kind of the asshole veteran pretty well um i like the part where he's like ah, i don't even care what your name is if you survive long enough and i might care so you know get inside your ship and show me what you got you know it was it was kind of a good bit and i i i do like how um mark hamill has kind of built a lot of the voice actor voice characters he's been doing uh recently he's kind of really nailed in that really gritty I'm an old badass sort of thing. And you see, all, you saw a bit of that in, in last Jedi, I think as well. Um, he's got like the been... voice for it at this point, you know, yeah, and he's it, using it. Uh, did you, uh, do you think the character was modeled after him? Like his, the character's face? I felt it was it looked, something about it looked similar. Um, I believe they mocapped it actually. Okay. Um, I, I know that stars that uh, Sig spent a lot of money on mocap time and doing motion capture. So I believe they are doing the whole thing where they're trying to live map people's faces. Obviously, you know, it's 
different, uh, very different look than you know he was in in Star Wars. But I'm right. pretty sure that that they probably did model it after his face. Yeah, because I'm looking at him like the, the bottom half. I couldn't really tell, but that's because he had you know, a lot of beard in Star Wars. But like the eyes and the nose, I'm like that looks. That looks a lot like him. And I'm like, even if it's not like a direct scan, it's it's real close. Like they they at least modeled the character roughly after Mark Hamill himself. And and like you said, it's uh, the the facial mocap has gotten so good that it's it makes almost more sense to model characters after their actual voice actor. Um, if it fits the bill, you know, uh, like we see that with the Death Strandings trailer uh, for uh, Hideo Kojima, where he's got uh, uh Mads Mikkelsen and uh, who's the guy from uh, uh, Walking Dead? I wouldn't know. Ah, it's gonna kill me. Um, but yeah, they're they're very clearly the characters are are them, like a direct scan um, of them. And then of course they're I would assume doing the voice acting. I know that Kojima and Kojima and uh, God damn, it's gonna kill me now. Um, Earl, it's it's Earl from from Walking Dead, but. Uh, <laughs> Norman Reedus, that's the one. Norman Reedus. Ah, the there you go. Norman Reedus, the Funky Fetus, is the the title of that <laughs> of that series of trailers. Um, but yeah, I know that him and Kojima actually know each other personally, so it's 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 cool to kind of see we're we're almost making movies like games have obviously become more cinematic over time, but now they're like taking actual movie actors or t- television actors and putting them effectively directly into the interactive experience, and I think that's just going to kind of help raise the legitimacy of of the medium as a whole and i think it's going to be uh it's going to be a good thing yeah so um and then the other thing i wanted to bring up briefly i guess on star citizen is that they're selling ground tanks money money now. money yeah yeah i knew someone had to put I, that I in. Had to you're the only one left to do it so <laughs> you have to um but yeah so they're selling these ground tanks that look well they look like tanks they're very boring uh, and they're a hundred bucks and i almost am tempted because it 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 brings that like that dust 514 memory back you know to you know we got ground vehicles you got tanks you got you know drop ship craft we can land on planets now you know it's it's so much of this is already with 3.0 like where i want to see you know the sort of thing that i was hoping you know in my wildest dreams to one day see out of like even dust um but it's like you know they they've got the squadron 42 stuff they got this this tank out and there's really no word and and it's understandable why there wouldn't be but you know there's this unspoken thing now that's you know well you know you might get sued for all of our money that we that you just gave us and you might get nothing at the end of it anyways um and so i guess until i see more out of the case i'm very hesitant to spend any money um but uh and and i guess the reaction hasn't been that well for the tank anyways i don't think they've gotten a lot of explanation on why a ground tank would be better than you know shooting people with your spaceship because all of the spaceships can all operate you know from a combat sense within an aerial environment or at least a lot of them can so the question is is why do you why do you need a ground tank when you can you know bombard it from orbit or or you know the air yeah i mean i think uh because they haven't really at least from what I've seen in my distant view of all this really fleshed out ground combat as much. I think that mostly what we've seen is the space combat, obviously. And then um, what little bit we saw of the star Marine, you know, on a space station, I think it was. Um, yeah. They haven't I mean, really fleshed out a lot with the, the vehicle stuff on the ground. The the very basics of ground, 
you know, play just started existing is, is really the, the bit of it. You know, uh, I believe this weekend they turned on uh, all backers can now play the 3.0 version on the on the uh, PTU server. So everybody can now get in and see what it is like to land on planets in Star Citizen. Um, you know, and there are some ground bases. They're neat. Um, there are missions that take place on ground sites. Um, but like it's there there's nowhere yet that you can say okay i understand how a tank is going to fit into this game it, that does that does that isn't the case yet and you know a lot of the other ground vehicles that you could get like some of the ones that i bought they uh fit in ships that you know they fit in cargo ships they hover you can you know they've already shown off ways you could use them um and it kind of makes sense. You can fit them in your little tiny ships. These the tank is way too big for most ships to carry. You'd have to have like one of those big, you know, several hundred or dollar, you know, level ships to carry a tank. Um, so it, it's kind of hard to see how it would fit into the workflow of things. Um, but I thought it was interesting because you know they seem to have gone all the way through all of the different things that you could possibly want on your space planetary landing you know, futuristic, all-encompassing, online, persistent, MMO-ish thing. Yeah, it'll be curious to see. And, and like you said, I think a lot of people will be, will be hesitant to hop on that because it's like, uh, this could sink them, this lawsuit with, with Crytek, or it could cripple them heavily to a point where they're not going to you know, deliver on a lot of what they're trying to do. Investing further right now without more information is... Eh, I'd, I'd be hesitant as well. So, I mean, I can kind of see, you know, why people might not want to hop on this, especially for, you know... I know a hundred bucks isn't like a lot in, in terms of Star Citizen, but it's still a hundred bucks, you know, and that that could be a big. But it's the cost of choice. a spaceship again. Is like there are, yeah. there are spaceships that have this this powerful of weaponry you can get in that price range. So why would you get a tank that right. is stuck on the ground? Uh, question: Are they planning on making the uh, Star Marine a separate game as well, like they did with the Squadron Forty Two? Um, they're not. I mean, the the big difference is that Squadron Forty Two is a single player game. Oh, um, oh, okay. So that's why it had like the whole campaign opening. Yeah, gotcha. that is a that is a sing. It was originally like going to be a Star Citizen single player campaign, and then they said we're going to sell it as a separate game, and that's very much what the the core of the the lawsuit is. Um, Star Marine is uh, kind of currently phrased as like a simulation mode that your character in Star Citizen can play. Um, it's not really like it's not meant to be a game of its own. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, it's meant to be like in Star Citizen, supposedly getting yourself killed is supposed to be somewhat painful to you as a, you know, to your character and what you, you can do. Um, so I think that they kind of wanted to have a way that people could play the classic FPS style things and that they could test out the experience and balance from that regard. Um, but it's like... Star Marine's never going to be more than a really basic lobby shooter, I think. Yeah, and I think that's fine. I mean, I kind of look at it like uh, Fortnite did with their Battle Royale, where it's like, well, we've got this engine, we've got all these weapons and stuff, we've got all the character models. Like, it's probably not that much effort to whip together a Battle Royale game mode. So for, you know, Star Citizen, it's like, well, we've got all the physics and the guns and the suits and stuff. We could just throw together like a, a lobby shooter and just call it a day, you know? And, and like you said, it delivers on that very classic FPS sort of gameplay. Uh, that's, 
with some really know, neat neat mechanics you know the zero g stuff is pretty cool um that's something you're not going to see a lot of in most in most shooters i think and you know from from watching you play um when you were streaming it uh, that's it's pretty cool like i gotta admit you know i was i was like oh i mean it, i'm not sure if that's fantastic for like a highly competitive you know tournament style thing but you know for uh running around and and, and just having a quick you know a quick play while you're you know want to waste 20 minutes i think it, it, it's a very fun thing to watch and i imagine it's probably pretty fun to play so i think that that's probably good that they kind of were able to put that together um and not just have all of the work done on the fps part be you know it might happen out here in the open or in the back of a ship uh when you could very well put together a full game mode that gives you know a classic experience that they could just have part of like a like you said like a simulation so i think it's a good idea and i'm, I'm kind of glad because not everyone is going to want to have that very it might happen it might not happen sort of experience they might want to just hop in and just shoot some guys for 20 minutes so i think it'll do well so moving along here uh this is actually kind of an interesting development that i didn't really see coming but it kind of makes sense so uh, some time ago, China passed a law which required games that had loot box mechanics or anything where it's, you know, you're purchasing something with a random chance for a certain item. Uh, China required that all games that were published in China had to uh, disclose the odds of what you were going to get, much like you see like in a lottery, like a, in, a, in a gambling situation where it says, hey, you have one out of x chance of getting this or winning this or getting this amount and china was going to require that loot boxes disclose this information which personally i think makes a lot of sense it's effectively gambling it's good to know what you're buying before you buy it so i think it was a good thing uh, a lot of publishers kind of got around the law like i know um overwatch kind of got past it because you were never buying the loot boxes directly with money you were buying it with a currency that was kind of a medium buffer um but in general china was trying to enforce this so came out a couple days ago that apple is now requiring a very similar thing for all games published in their app store so this isn't going to affect you know like games like destiny or overwatch or anything like that um but if you're you know selling a mobile title uh with like a loot box mechanic through the apple store you have to disclose what the chances of getting a said item is out of those loot boxes which i thought was pretty interesting yeah and uh you know while it won't hit overwatch this may hit uh this would hit hearthstone because hearthstone is available both on desktop and mobile platforms um and uh, hearthstone sells card packs of course which I've heard is the game is expensive to keep up with because they release card packs fairly regularly. And yeah. if you want to get all of them as they come out, you've got to spend a lot of money. Someone was saying it's like hundreds of dollars a year on average to get everything from each new wave of card packs, which is well, kind yeah, of so insane. One of the things that they do that it's I've seen it in traditional card games as well, like collectible card games as a whole generally have a very good finance model designed behind them. You know, they they're obviously creating artificial rarity because they you know decide to print you know one rare card and nine common cards in a you know in a pack. Um, so the whole notion that, uh, of a card game like this, you get to create your rarity, which creates the value you want to give. You know, um, but in particular, uh, they have so they release these expansions uh, and then. The standard play only permits you to use the base cards from the base game at like the past two or three expansions. So if you bought cards from the first expansion for Hearthstone, you can't use those cards in standard play anymore. 
for example. Wow. You see how that works? So you have to keep buying new cards all the time. Oh, that's that's kind of shitty. <laughs> and, but wow. that's like that's not unusual. Like yeah, I um mean... uh I know Magic the Gathering does the exact same thing. Um Magic the Gathering tournament play usually only allows uh a certain edition of cards. They, you know, they'll do a reprint every so often where they'll reprint a bunch of classic cards uh to be current for you know tournament play um but a lot of older cards you're just not allowed to use in a you know in a tournament setting obviously you can use among friends and and hearthstone as well has a a game mode called wild that you can use any cards that you have um but yeah you had you have to use recent cards or base game cards um and uh so you have a constant need to keep acquiring new cards if you want to stay you know competitive and relevant um, some games don't really do that, but they just feature creep, um, the cards. Um, it's very common for, you know, base game and early expansion cards to have less, me- less useful mechanics or be weaker cards, um, than cards from later expansions where they obviously added things that they thought would be cool or exciting or, you know, worthwhile to, for people to buy new cards. Um. So yeah, card games are are a pretty good racket in that regard, um, and Hearthstone follows along that model pretty pretty closely. Well, that's that's actually interesting because I mean, from a design perspective, if you heavily limit like what can be used and you discontinue the use of certain things, if you ever have a problem where like uh, like an imbalance pops up and you can't fix it because you don't want to go back and change the card, um, you can just wait for it to die out eventually. You know, eventually it'll fall out of the loop and you know you replace it. And from like a like again from like a design perspective, there's only so many ways you can skin a cat. You know, and it's like after a while, there's so many different. There's like a like, not really, but there's almost kind of like a finite amount of mechanics you can do or different kinds of cards you can make so you don't have like exactly the same card so if you get rid of old ones it allows you to reintroduce similar things that you know may not be identical to the last one but it's it's similar enough that it kind of fulfills the same role and if you kind of have this rolling you know relevancy uh it allows you to have a little more fine-tuned control over how you're going to pan the game out moving forward which it's useful, but at the same time, when you're selling the packs, you know it can get pretty expensive. But yeah, I mean, one of the one of the other reasons that they they do it is, um, and this is one of those things you can see in the wild mode is there are cards that, but from different expansions that can interact with each other in extremely powerful ways, right. um, and that doesn't occur in standard because they can design a card with the knowledge of all of the cards that are legal to play with it in a standard card game are the base set which is very you know a very standard you know set of rules and then the rules of the expansion that you're building right now you don't have to worry about you know two expansions ago they thought this one mechanic would be kind of fun and they did it a bunch and now that mechanic with this card would be would ruin the game so there's there's yeah there's a lot of benefits to to it but again when they're selling the cards it just creates a constant need to buy uh, which is which is the goal? Yeah, I mean it, that is the model. I mean it's a free to play game. They have to they have to make money somehow. Um, I was just surprised it was it was so expensive to keep up and get everything. I was like, holy crap! Like you know, three, four, five hundred dollars a year, something like that. It was it was up there. So that's that's kind of crazy. Well, that, but that was uh, always one of the things that bothered me about uh, when they started doing. Uh, even I, I had a uh, there's a Star Trek collectible card game that I've I've have quite a few cards of and. 
early on, they were one of the first actually to do like an online version of the card game where you could, you know, play people online with virtual decks of these cards. Um, and uh, you had to buy the packs, though, the digital packs, and they were the same price as a real pack, you know? So you could spend hundreds of dollars buying virtual card packs that literally are gone now because the company that ran, you know, doesn't have this card game anymore, doesn't print the cards, doesn't have the online website, doesn't run this service anymore. But all my physical cards are still there, you know, but if I was to play online, I'd have to pay just as much for cards that vanished when the game stopped. Yeah, I mean, you at least have a the physical collection if that's a value to right. you rather than just Well, and you could still play the you could still play the game. Yeah, true. But, you, true. You, know, you could still play the game. It's not dependent on a service. And I know Magic the Gathering does the same thing. They'll sell you card, you know, digital card packs for for their games. Um, one of those things that I always thought would be really neat is I think that if they were to design a card game that they wanted you'd be able to play online, they should include a code in every card pack that gets you all the digital cards that you just bought mm-hmm. in the physical pack. That would be awesome. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. That, and if anyone ever does that, I, I want, I want credit and and like you know. Five percent. Cut. Yeah, yeah. Because that's that was my idea. I'm um, sure you're the first person to think of it. <laughs> right. Um. But uh, yeah. So hopefully, at least uh, you know, there's got to be a point where you can't escape this this ruling anymore. I'm hoping that Hearthstone and and other games like it are gonna have to give it up on mobile. I'm hoping that uh, I you know that. There's been discussion, you know, about in the United States about requiring this this sort of disclosure as a law, and I hope we get there. I think you're right that we're starting to see, um, you know, in the political sphere that uh, this sort of thing is, is becoming a little more prevalent, especially in light of, of recent issues with, you know, the EA issue and, and just kind of in general. And I don't know if they're going to heavily, heavily regulate it, but I think something like at least give the consumers the ability to see what they're buying is reasonable you know it's it's a reasonable uh expectation i I see it almost kind of like printing the calories for what you're ordering on the menu like i'm not saying you have to make things under a certain calorie amount just let me know how much i'm buying you know um and i think loot boxes are kind of the same deal it's like i'm not saying you have to prevent them from selling loot boxes but at least tell people hey you've got a one in ten chance of of getting something out of this and I'm, i'm thinking that apple is probably looking ahead and seeing this is probably going to happen or something along this thought line is going to happen. So we kind of want to be ahead of the game and just be like, listen, anything on the Apple store is already compliant or at least close enough to compliance that we can tweak it. Um, and they're just trying to be forward thinking about it. So. And they look good for their customers, you know, that they're, they're setting a standard of, of conduct for their customers benefit before it's legally required. I, I think that's yeah. just a good move for them as a, as a company. Yep. I agree. So, uh, you going to talk to us about Destiny now? Because I know I'm you have to talk to you about Destiny because it's actually related to this. Um, so the Dawning event, which is kind of their seasonal, we'll say Christmas event, but it doesn't really explicitly say that. It's it's more of a just a winter event um, in that sort of thing. It's so the Happy Holidays event. Yeah, Happy the, gen- um, the generic holiday holiday celebratory event. Yes, and players are of course pissed off, um, not because of Happy Holidays, but uh, because shit's broken. Um, so a couple things. Uh, so the Mayhem game mode, and Mayhem is one of the PvP game modes. It's a special game mode where they turn everything up to eleven. Like your super, which normally charges in like ninety seconds, charges in like fifteen. Um, your grenades recharge like five times faster. It's just the gunplay becomes basically trivial because you can just nuke everybody. Um, every you know. 20 to 30 seconds or so uh it's a lot of fun you know it, it 
it, like I said, trivializes the game, the gunplay, which is not really great to have all the time. But for an event, it's a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it um, in Destiny 1. And I was really enjoying it in Destiny 2 until a glitch popped up. Um, so one of the subclasses of the Warlock, the Voidwalker, uh, their super ability is called Void Bomb. And they basically throw a big purple orb and it kills the guy you hit and everyone in the room around him basically just it's a giant nuke um which is fine you know it was fine you, you saw a lot of it happening in the mayhem beforehand and it, you know it was it was fine uh however the particular warlock class there's one tree of its skill you know branches it can do where it can do something with grenade energy and super energy and i'm not going to go into the details of the glitch because it's terrible but what it effectively allowed them to do is fire off their Nova bomb super about once every half a second. Um, so <laughs> for the first few days, this glitch hadn't been discovered and the game mode was absolutely fantastic. I was really enjoying it. Uh, and then last night me and Livy went in there to give it a shot and the other team had four void walkers and we we're like, Oh, that's kind of weird. And so pretty soon you hear these supers going off like every half a second, but there's four of them. So we, we kind of, flank around the edge of the map and these four guys are lined up in one corner of the map just nuking every point they can see into the map into that area it was just this wall of supers the whole time um needless to say the game was unplayable pretty much at that point like you could probably go in as this particular subclass and and do the same thing if that's your thing but if you're playing as anyone else it kind of ruins the game mode like i was saying in the skype chat earlier it's Letting everyone fire off their super every 15 and 20 seconds is pretty fun. Letting one subclass fire it off every half second kind of breaks everything. So um, it's a nasty glitch. Um, really unfortunate. But the unfortunate part, really unfortunate part is that Bungie has already commented that <laughs> they've let all their guys go on vacation because holidays, understandable, and that they're not going to be able to fix this until early 2018, um, which is after the event has ended. So basically the mayhem game mode is kind of ruined for the remainder of the event. I'm really hoping that they extend the mayhem game mode to kind of make up for this lost time because right now it's, you know, messed up. Um, but you know, we'll see. So that's kind of my, my personal disappointment. The main gripe though, that they're getting a lot of shit about is the way that they're handling the rewards for the event. So if you've played, and I'm going to call Destiny's not an MMO. I don't think that's a good way to describe it, but it is an RPG game. You do have a character, you're leveling it up, you're gaining skills, loot drops, that sort of thing. So it's an RPG. In most online RPGs, you have events. And even non-RPGs, you have events where you go in, it's usually play the game, collect a couple challenges, and you'll get a seasonal reward, usually a special piece of gear, armor, weapon, whatever. Um, and this is pretty common. You know, okay, you go in, you do your, like, I, I play Final Fantasy XIV. Um, they do the same thing. You go in, you do your bit for, you know, takes 15 minutes usually, and you get your thing, and it's it's fun. You know, you get kind of a unique cosmetic effect. That's what I usually expect. The way that Destiny is doing it is that all of the seasonal stuff is gotten through the Eververse store, which is the premium currency store. Um, the only problem is, is that normally you can purchase these bright engrams, which is where you get the cosmetics, or you earn one every time you level your character up once you hit max level. And that works fairly well. The issue is, is that the new items, the unique ones for the event, uh, are part of a special kind of engram, which can be purchased um, through the store. But if you want to get them for free, you have to complete like daily daily events. 
Now, that seems okay, except that the amount that you can get per day is finite. You can only get like one, I think it's just one per day. So yeah, it's a three week event. So that's 21 days, give or take. Um, so you can slave you can... it out if that's the only thing you want to play for the next three weeks. Sure, but the thing is, is that the amount of things you get per event engram, there's too much in the loot pool to get everything within 21 days. So it's impossible to get everything that the event offers because there's so much extra stuff in there to water the loot pool down that you can't actually get everything for free. Um, and some of those are, um, I believe, exclusive for this season, which means you'll never be able to get that item again. So if you are playing for free, you could potentially miss out on an item that even though you're playing a lot, you can't actually guarantee you're going to get that exclusive unless you just buy the engrams until you get it. Um, needless to say, people are kind of pissed off. Um, understandably so. I, I think that my main gripe with it is the finite nature of you can only get so many um, within the event period. If it was, I can grind for 20 hours a day and get it all, that's more acceptable, I think, rather than a, you physically can't get everything unless you spend money. Um, I just don't like it for an event. I always, as a you know, as an online RPG player, I think events should be something that if you're there, you should get it. You know, if you put forth the effort, you should get it. It shouldn't be something you're paying for. Um, and a lot of players kind of agree, and they're getting a lot of backlash for it that, you know, the event items are so heavily tied to the Eververse store and that you're really, really heavily encouraged, almost forced to buy them if you want to get all of the stuff. Um, or even if you want something specific, you're going to have to buy something most likely because you're just not going to get it through the drops. And it's just unfortunate anyways when you take like, you know, yeah, people, a lot of people may have lighter schedules during, you know, the holidays. A lot of people don't, though. You know, I understand if you're in school, you know, and you have your winter break and you could sit there and grind out stuff. But, you know, for me, I get I get one holiday, you know, out of this. And I don't really want to spend it doing a grind that feels like work. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, there's exactly. actually, and I don't want to go into a huge detail on it, but uh, this is actually the same thing. There's been a, I've seen a couple blog posts is that uh, Eve has done the same thing this year, is that they used to just offer like a big pile of stuff that you would just get for free if you log in each day. And you could just log in and redeem the holiday stuff for, for their, their holiday festival. And then uh, this year, it is a, you have to do missions for it and uh, for a chance at them. Or, of course, you can just buy the, the holiday skins in the, in the store. Yeah, I, like, like you said, if it's a matter of, I have the time to grind for it, or I don't, and I can just buy it, that's reasonable. But at least let people grind for it. You know, at least give that option of, hey, if you dedicate the time for it, you can get everything. And I think that's the big part people are really, are really fed up on. And I think that... You know, I know financials are way more complicated than gamers usually see, but it's like for an event, guys, I feel like it should be guaranteed, you know, and, and there are some things that they will allow you to buy directly using Bright Dust, which is what you get from breaking down normal cosmetics. Um, so you could effectively buy them for free, like all the armor sets you can buy over the three weeks for free. The problem is the, the Bright Dust cost of those is so high that you have to basically play an absolutely absurd amount to have enough to purchase them with the stuff you would get for free. Um, and it's probably not sustainable over multiple events in a row, you know? So you're again, 
heavily discouraged from playing for entirely for free. They, they really want you to buy these things. And, you know, obviously you have to, in a, in a system where you're, you're selling loot boxes, you want to have some level of dissatisfaction from playing for free in order to encourage you to buy something. But there's a limit to what's reasonable and what feels good. And I think that in this case, um, if you're really interested in the items they're offering, it doesn't feel good. And it's, it's really not going well for Bungie right now. They're unfortunately, these guys are on, you know, on vacation and they're these devs, Twitter's accounts are just blowing up from pissed off players. And they're like not even in the office to even do anything about it. So, um, it's unfortunate. Um, I, I think often the developers themselves get too much blame for this. Cause I think a lot of this comes from the publisher and how these things, these things are run, but, you know, overall, just it's been kind of a dissatisfying experience. And it was fun at first, especially with the mayhem thing. But once you kind of dived into the way the loot mechanics worked and how heavily it was tied behind the, the, the paywall and stuff, it just, I don't know, the dawning for Destiny 2 feels a little lackluster, um, which is unfortunate because it, it looked like it was going to be really fun. And it's just kind of been a little frustrating. So, you know, I'll keep poking at it, obviously, and, and, and see. But uh, with the PvP mode messed up and a lot of the stuff being kind of locked away, I'm a lot less excited than I was about this uh, when I first started. So it is that time of the year again, Steam Winter Sale, um, because I know that all your credit cards are probably maxed already from, uh, you know, holiday shopping. No idea. So, so you basically need to go and now sell various organs um, to now you can buy stuff on Steam for the Winter Sale because it is live. And it, yeah, it runs it, through January 4th, though. So if you're lucky, depending on when your credit card statement rotates over, you should actually be on a fresh credit card statement sometime before the end of the Steam sale so that you can buy stuff. Uh, you must make your required tribute to Lord Gaben. Uh, he is waiting for your wallet. Yes, he is. Um, and I haven't looked too deeply into a lot of the deals. Um, I just kind of quickly glanced before the show at the front page, but uh, I did notice that Prey is 50% off. Um, and I think that deal is actually going for all platforms, not just PC. Um, Prey is obviously the game we just finished up for Dungeon Crawl, and uh, it's quite good. It's... 20 bucks right now which is a really good deal for the amount of gameplay we got out of it so i do suggest you hop on that if you want that kind of gameplay or enjoy the series it's it's really good stuff but that is on sale as part of the steam sale as well as other things you got to check back every day because they usually have new stuff popping in and out uh, um not anymore oh they stopped doing that now yeah they did stop doing that any game any sale that they have during a steam sale will be on sale the entire run of the run of the game of of the sale uh, the only thing that you miss out on if you don't check it every day is uh, the, the free trading cards you get for voting on the Steam Game Awards and going through the Discovery queue. You can get uh, four uh, card, right. four trading cards a day by playing with that, and, and they're on their third day already and will be well more than their third day by the time people listen to the show. Right, right. Yeah, I forgot that they had moved away from the... Because before it was, you would vote on what the next sale was going to be. Yeah, um, they had a whole flash sale mechanic of a couple yeah. different types. Um, and uh, I think that the reason they moved away from that is because people were, would be hesitant to spend their money out yeah. of not knowing if there would be a better deal later in the sale. And it, it would happen, too. I mean, I remember purchasing a game for, like, 50% off, and then two days later, it was 90% off. I was like, God damn it, you know. And I probably could have gone through the rigmarole of requesting a refund and then I don't think you could get again. refunds at that time either. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it was... It, it wasn't it didn't feel too good and i think that this is probably for the best i mean i know that yeah. the, the flash sale was fun but uh you like you said it made people hesitant it's really you, and you'd have to get up at weird hours to check and see well yep. you know what's on sale at this time and what's not and, 
It, you know, it's just there's no good reason to make it hard for people to give you money and, and make you don't want to give people a reason to not want to give you money. Um, and I think that that's all that that ended up being. Um, right. So they did do away with that. Um, there are a couple highlights I would mention. I will talk about Star Trek Bridge Crew. Uh, it is half off on Steam right now, which is twenty five dollars. Um, one thing that is not on sale, but you can get a trading card for buying it, uh, is uh, Valve, which is the uh, operator of Steam, did just release uh, Bridge Constructor Portal, uh, which is a like a third party studio made like one of those little bridge constructor mobile games, uh, but it's portal themed and has portal related voiceovers and and really when you talk about portal uh having glados make fun of you is most of why you play anyways um you know it's a puzzle franchise so this is you know not really a portal game but it's it's still very much on brand um for for what they do and i'm gonna pick it up yeah i actually remember seeing that trailer it looks pretty funny um i always like those bridge constructor games uh various forms they're usually pretty uh, my 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 degree from college was in civil engineering and part of that was building bridges and that sort of thing. So I've always had fun with those and portal is awesome. So, you know, mixing and, that with anything is great. And you can get that on, I believe pretty much any mobile or uh, console platform. So you can get it PC, uh, Android, iOS, uh, PS4, I, Xbox, you name it. It should be, it should be available everywhere. Nice. So yeah, steam winter sale. It started on the 21st runs through January 4th. So you will have some time to uh, hop in there and take a look around. But, uh, for the most part, it looks like some pretty good deals. They usually have some deep cuts, um, and there's a lot of games that are really good that are a little bit older, so it's even less than you know full price normally. So it's a it's a good deal. So check it out. I uh, want to give a quick reminder. Uh, depending on when this show comes out, um, Monster Hunter World. It's a game I reviewed uh, I think last week uh, for PS4. It's open beta. It's having a second run. Uh, it's running from December 22nd to the 26th, so the day after Christmas. You do not need to have PlayStation Plus to participate in the multiplayer beta, which is pretty cool. So if you want to give it a shot, um, the game's, again, really, really fun. I got really hyped for it from playing the beta. It's surprising. I was like, yeah, it, it, it could be pretty cool. And I guys started playing. I was like, this is awesome. Like, it's, it's really cool. So uh, Monster Hunter World open beta second run is running from the 22nd to the 26th of December. And you're hoping I post the show before Christmas. Uh, you know. <laughs> and uh, the, the, release, the release date is the 26th. So if you don't get to try the beta, um, I'm not sure if they're going to do a third wave of the beta. But if it is... And uh, you have a console, I really do suggest. Actually, it's coming on PC, too. I'm not sure if there's a PC beta, but I know there is one for PS4. But anyways, if you do get a chance, give it a shot. But if not, it's a fantastic game from what I've seen. I'm definitely going to pre-order it because it looks really, really good. So I'm excited for that one on the 26th of January. So Bates not here. Um, he was doing stuff that apparently is more important than the show. Um, so shame him mercilessly whenever you see him. Uh, but I wanted to talk a bit about Assassin's Creed Origins. So... Uh, several months ago, I forget when we talked about it, but I was kind of complaining about the really weird crossover event where in Final Fantasy 15, they had an event, which was the, uh, Assassin's Festival, where it was the characters in the game were talking about like, oh yeah, my favorite video game series to play is Assassin's Creed. And they're doing this big festival in this one town and we can go and dress up like assassins and do all kinds of Assassin's Creed stuff and fine whatever it was weird it's, it, it wasn't as weird as the cup noodle crossovers so you know fine well crossovers apparently work both ways and now there is a final fantasy 15 to assassin's creed origins crossover so 
if you have Assassin's Creed Origins, you can complete a quest called The Gift from the Gods, and you can unlock these items. So one of the items is Gladio's Shield from Final Fantasy XV, which is a pretty cool-looking shield. Uh, there's Noctis's Engine Blade from XV. Uh, and when I say Engine Blade, it's a sword that literally has an engine strapped to it. Um, it makes no sense, but it looks cool, so yay. And uh, so apparently in Assassin's Creed Origins, you have a camel, which is like your horse, but you ride it around fine in final fantasy they have things called chocobos which are basically giant chickens that you ride around fine whatever it's anime whatever there is a chocobo outfit for your camel uh so you get this like yellow feather suit for your camel and it's got like a big bird head on it and a chocobo tail it looks terrifying like it is the weirdest looking thing you've ever seen it's like a four-legged chicken running around i don't even know but um yeah, so that's like the weirdest thing I've seen in a while. But uh, yeah, if you're a fan of Final Fantasy and own Assassin's Creed Origins, you can get some new weapons and uh, a four-legged chicken you can ride around. So it's very weird, but it is available right now if you go to the uh, Assassin's Creed and do the Gift from the Gods uh, quest. Also, if you have Final Fantasy XV, um, the Assassin's Festival is still running. It's going to be running until January 31st, 2018. So if you have not done that yet, um, I actually do it myself. You can hop on and still do that event and get the Assassin's robes and all that stuff. So, you know, some crossover stuff you can do. It's really bizarre and weird, but at least it's not cup noodles. So I guess there's that. So um, Star Trek Bridge Crew, uh, which I, I told yeah. you all I was going to talk about. And now I will Let's talk about it. Um. So the, the, the big change is that Star Trek Bridge Crew uh, put out a patch uh, that it no longer requires VR headsets, which is an interesting change. Um, obviously, uh, Valkyrie did the same thing um, to, to, you know, later in add the ability to play without a VR headset. Uh, and Star Trek Bridge Crew has done the same thing. Um, this is really new. I don't know how heavily it was promoted because... Uh, uh, so I, I tried it yesterday, and the person that I was playing with did not realize that I was not wearing a VR headset. Um, I'm like, yeah, you don't need a VR headset anymore. I was like, oh, really now? Um, and it's interesting. I think half of our, like, you know, you play as four-person teams. If I ha if you don't know what Bridge Crew is, it is a uh, Star Trek bridge simulator where each person on your team uh, mans a station, either uh, the captain, helm, tactical, or engineering. Um, and then you can use uh, voice chat to coordinate because you have to actually collaborate to do things on the ship. So, for example, um, the captain is going to have the objectives that tell them what they need to do for the mission so they know they need to warp somewhere. Well, the, uh, the navigator, need, you know, the helm has to plot the course. Um, and then uh, they actually need the engineering uh, person to prime the warp coils for you to actually, for the helm person to actually jump the ship into warp so there's there's kind of a, a big collaborative thing with all the mission obviously you have to keep you know the helm has to keep the the ship oriented in certain ways for the uh tactical officer to fire all their weapons um it's kind of fun uh you could definitely see the difference between the vr and non-vr i kind of have like a little slide look i can do each direction um and my hand motions are completely still unless i'm pushing a button Whereas I can see all the hand gestures of the people in VR, even though sometimes they look a little disjointed, um, as the, the you know game obviously tries to figure out how people's arms should look based on the position of their hand controllers. Um, but uh, 
So the, it was it was a lot of fun though. I had I did like three missions. One of them I would say we were reasonably successful at. Um, I I played with randoms on the internet, and thankfully I picked up with one of them that was very experienced and also thankfully very patient. Um, I think we blew up our first ship really fast. Um, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm looking forward to playing it more. Um, as I said, you can get it twenty five dollars right now on Steam for PCs. Um, it's it's normal price is fifty, uh, and you no longer require a VR headset. Um, the thing that I think is kind of funny is um, I've actually owned this game for several months. I bought it when it came out, um, and I didn't try it because I'm too lazy to set up my VR headset. I have a Vive, and it takes effort to set it up, so I don't do it. And when they made a VR-free version of the game, I tried it, and I like it. And now I kind of want to try it with the VR headset, and probably will. But there's something to be said for the whole VR-only gaming space when I didn't try a game that I have everything to support just because it takes too much effort to get going. Yeah, the shift to no VR is uh, its telling. I think that <laughs> they're, they're starting to realize what CCP kind of figured out, that it's not really sustainable if it's an only VR game, um, particularly if you want to continue to... Uh, you know, support it in the long run. It's there's just not enough for player base to, to handle it. And it's not growing fast enough. But uh, you know, hopefully the game survives still. I think it's a cool idea. I know that you were having a a real nerdgasm over it when it first came out, even if you never actually played it because you know VR is a pain in the ass to set up. But uh, you know, I think we'll probably see more of this for VR specific games that they'll, if possible, implement. You know, non VR versions. Yeah, and so. and I could definitely like, for example, you know. I know there's keyboard shortcuts you can learn. I don't know them. Um, so I was just playing with the mouse. And you could definitely see the, the, the limitations of only having one cursor. That way I can definitely see where it'd be really helpful to be able to play with two hands. Um, I, I could really see the benefits that VR offered this game. Um, and I did that the guy who was kind of our, our senior guy in our group. Uh, was using hand gestures as part of explaining things, and I could not hand gesture back. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, so there, there were definitely clear benefits to playing it with VR. Um, but I'm glad it worked without. Um, and I, I think that that may have to be where things go in the future. Um, you know, there are plenty of VR-only titles from smaller studios, but really, I mean, Bridge Crew is is I think maybe the only other game that's like a straight VR only title from a major, major studio. Um, you know, uh, because this is a bridge cruise by Ubisoft. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it'll be, uh, I think it was a, an interesting thing to go with. And I know a lot of the, uh, original staff had fun with it. Uh, the original Star Trek crew, I think they were, they were brought in for voice acting and that sort of thing. So that's, that's pretty fun. And I, th right. I think, I think you could do voice commands with it too. Like you can, they have like, they have IBM Watson integration for doing voice commands, but nice. I, I haven't figured that out so yet. Well, that's pretty cool, though. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, even if VR isn't really taking off as quickly as people had hoped, I think that we'll hopefully see more of this stuff moving forward because I think it is a cool technology. You know, we might see some some hybrid models for a while, but uh, hopefully the price of the headsets comes down to a point and the ease of setting them up, because like Zell said, it's a real pain in the butt to I have seen some crazy prices. Um, I, I want to say that there are like, there have been some bundles that have brought like Oculus and Vive grade hardware down into the four or $500 range. Um, you know, I've seen what what are the PlayStation VR bundles down to? They've got some of those down in the 200 250 range, right? 
Yeah, I, my my brother doesn't know, but I got him a, a PSVR uh, for Christmas. And since you're not going to post this before Christmas, and we'll be safe here to, to say it, but uh, he, uh, I got it for 200 bucks. Um, and that didn't include the camera because the camera is sold separately and is required for, um, I think, for the Move controllers. But uh, the camera was like less than 50 bucks. So yeah, you're looking at probably 200 to 200 on PSVR. Yeah, so I mean, it's coming down. Um, the I think the the windows mixed reality stuff is started at like 350 so that'll probably come that's down that's that'll probably come down quite a bit as well yeah it's certainly a far cry from the 800 dollars vive you know setup that it started as you know a couple of years ago you know, that was that was like okay never mind i mean i remember i was i had my my hand on the trigger to buy an oculus thinking it was going to be like 400 bucks and then it was six i was like oh well that made that that choice easy i guess i'll wait <laughs> i remember that exact moment yeah, I was like, oh, okay, that's not even remotely close to what we were expecting. So, well, thanks, Oculus. I guess I'll hit you guys up in five years. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's they're coming down, um, and you're seeing more uh, creative integration with, with VR, I think. Um, a lot of games that are, you know, designed to not require VR, but happen to work really well, like Super Hot, which is a really fun game without VR, and it was out, it, was, it came out long before VR was even commonplace. Um, but that game like translates perfectly into VR. Like it just makes it better. Um, you'll see more stuff like that, I think. So it'll be, it'll be good moving forward. And I'm, I'm looking forward to see how the market evolves over time. So I think that's good for a show. Not bad for, for just two of us. Um, so let's go into shout outs real quick and we'll probably call this one a wrap. So for my shout out, I'm going to give a shout out to SpaceX for scaring the living shit out of my family last night. Um, so we're driving along and we look up in the sky and there's this, what appears to be a dot of light and then this like massive like cone of light shooting off into the distance and we're like what the hell like it, it, it was way too big and bright to be anything um like a plane or something like that and we were just like what the hell is this you know and uh it, it disappeared you know probably about five minutes later and i'm like oh, well that's it that's that's you know the ufo they've come to nuke us just in time for the end of the year and you know we're we're good to go um and my mom's like oh here comes the nukes you know <laughs> we're all gonna die you know north korea's finally bombed us um but they were, everyone's freaking out um and we finally looked it up and apparently spacex had actually launched a rocket um carrying a satellite in the middle of the night in california and it was bright enough to see the the, the trail from the the exhaust and stuff um over here in arizona so that's what we saw um I got a really cool picture for it. I might actually put it up on the website because it's uh, it's it's pretty neat looking. But uh, we had no idea what it was when it happened, and it was it was interesting to say the least. But uh, it was it was cool. So shout out to SpaceX for scaring the crap out of my family last night. It was pretty neat. I will give my shout out to uh, Comcast for not being on the internet and not, not having me on the internet until after Christmas. I, I have the longest weekend that I've had in many years, and I won't have internet for all of it. That's the turnaround time they told you until after Christmas. Well, they they gave me a date, the twenty sixth. Well, I guess it's it's reasonable. It's just a little frustrating, I'm sure. I understand, and I I don't think they did it. I don't know what happened there. It like it it, it seriously it it looks like a crime scene near my cable box. Um, I don't know what happened. I kind of feel like a competitor did a hookup maybe and unplugged my line as part of it, but I don't have any proof. So, you know, we'll see. It is what it is, but uh, I guess you'll have to like talk to your family or something. 
for Christmas. It'll be terrible, but I think I'll manage. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, you know, thanks for tuning in. Like I said, it's kind of a we're recording on a weird day, um, obviously kind of an odd show, but, you know, we like to do our, our 51 episodes a, a year, so we, we made sure it happened, and, uh, you know, I do hope that you all have a safe holiday, um, regardless of what you're celebrating um, over the next coming weeks here, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll catch, we'll be back uh, next week at the usual time when I'll post it, but uh, we'll be recording at a weird time again, so we'll see how many people we have, it might be just two of us again, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be sure to get the show out, and, uh you know, as always, if you want to be on the show, if you have any ideas for the show, do let us know. All the contact information is available over on biomass.com or biomass.net. You can also hit me up in the Dust Veteran Discord if you're in there or on Twitter. Um, again, those those tags are available on our website, so go check it. Um, but with that being said, guys, you know, again, thanks for tuning in. Please have a safe week out there and uh, enjoy the holiday.